All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Mount Olive. So glad you're here. You're fired up to be here today. Yeah. And if you're online, you're fired up just to watch online. That's so good. So excited. Um, hey, we've been in a series called AIM. And uh, unfortunately, this is the last message in this series. And I say unfortunately because my son, uh, he's saying, we got to keep this series going, Dad, because that uh, bumper video is so killer. Um, he just couldn't get enough of the bow and arrow. So if that's you, you'll just have to go back and rewatch online many, many times. So yeah, we've been in a series called AIM, talking about action, identity, and mission. You know, what you live for says a lot about who you are. And we determine often who people are by the things that we determine they're living for. Um, and we do this all the time. We make little judgments and discernments about people's uh, motives and so on. For example, um, you know, when you see a family and they're out at sports seven days a week, every night, you kind of just you know, look back and you think, I think they're kind of like really value sports. I think they really value athletics. I think they, they love to do those kinds of things. And maybe you even think, I wonder if they just kind of live for that, right? Or you see someone who's got, you know, multiple video game consoles with hundreds of video games. It's like every waking moment, they're just gaming and you kind of make some judgments along the way, right? Some calls is like, man, they, they seem to really value that. It kind of seems to be what they live for. Um, maybe you know someone who's just all into books, right? It's like they have a whole room in the house just dedicated to books or their tablet, just hundreds or thousands of books. And, and maybe it's about history. They just re- love to read about history or, or biographies or maybe they love to read uh, about romance, whatever. But it kind of, sometimes it informs us a bit. This person really seems to value, it's kind of what they're living for. And we could do this all kinds of things, right? Some people, they just shop till they drop and they never drop. They just keep shopping. That's just how they're wired. And you're like, they just seem to really live for that, right? And, and maybe there's, you know, some people that do, do other things, right? They just work and work and work. And we kind of sit on the outside and we're like, man, that seems to be what they're, what they're living for. Now, here's the deal. None of those things in and of themselves are necessarily wrong, intrinsically wrong. But when we uh, see those things as ends rather than simply means, is they, if they become the thing They become what we end up living for. And what you live for says a lot about who you are. Another way to say this is, and and who you are will have great impact and influence on what you live for. You know, Jesus, as he called people to come around him, uh, followers, we might call them Christians or disciples, as he called people to to come and be apprentices of him, he said, I'm going to change that. In fact, I'm going to change everything. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 4, 19. He said, follow me and I will make you. The, the idea was this, follow, come after me, come apprentice under me, come become like me as your rabbi and teacher. And as you step into this, everything about you is going to change, including what you live for. I will make you see, our mission as a church, what we are all about, what we are encouraging each other to be living for is what Jesus called us to, is to see people become devoted followers of Jesus. And, and this, this means that uh, a devoted follower is a, a Christian. It's a, it's a disciple. It's someone who comes after Jesus. The way we've defined it is a disciple, a follower, is growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live. It's this constant being formed into like the person of Jesus, the person we're, we're following, which means we never fully arrive on this side of eternity, right? It's like we didn't, it's like, ah, I took the course, I'm done now. 
It's this constant being formed, being changed. Follow me and I will make you. Someone who lives like Jesus would live. There's steps along the way and we continue to take steps. But this impacts our lives, our entire lives. But we've broken it into three kind of spheres or categories. And I know this is cheesy because it forms an acronym and acronyms are cheesy. But it's memorable, so I hope you remember. But growing to be someone who lives like Jesus uh, lives is the aim of following. It's the aim of being a Christian. It's the aim of being a disciple of Jesus. And aim spells, is at, is, stands for action. It, it forms our behavior, how we behave. It forms our identity, who we are, is formed into the person of Jesus. And we've talked about those already. And if you want to go back and listen to those uh, in, in previous messages, you can do that. But today we're going to talk about mission. What it is that we live for purpose. And Jesus transforms that as well as we are growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live. And we didn't come up with it. I didn't make this up. It actually comes out of something that Jesus said just as he was about to ascend to heaven. He's already died. He rose from the dead and he's with his followers. And he's about to go to heaven. These are some of his last words. And these three spheres and areas come up as he says, I'm going to change you. Here's what he says. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is who I am. And because of who I am and I've been given all authority, I'm going to say some things about you. An action, identity, and mission show up. He says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission part. And, and simply what this means is go and make what you've become. You have become and are becoming like me, followers of me. Go and see other people do the same thing. And this is going to affect their mission because they're going to go and do that again. But also it's going to affect their identity, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them not to know, it's way more than that. Teaching them to obey, which is a change of behavior, a change of what we live and how we live. So what we live for, who we are, and how we behave have all been impacted by the person of Jesus. So coming back to the statement at the beginning, what you live for says a lot about who you are. So what is it that you live for? And as Jesus comes and starts to transform and shape us into his image, what will we begin to live for? Well, to find this out, we're going to go to a little uh, book in the New Testament. So if you have Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians is close to the end of the Bible. Um, if you hit 1 Corinthians, it's two letters Paul wrote to some Christians. That's why there's one, two Corinthians. And chapter 5 is the big number, and then there's all these little numbers in the words that just kind of mess you up. Those are called verses. So chapter 5, and then find the little verse 11. And here's what Paul says in regards to our transformed life as it relates to our purpose and mission and how this all works out. He says this, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. And when we hear the word fear, we typically think of like, oh shoot, terror. And Paul doesn't only mean that. Possibly it could have that in play. But when he uses the word fear, it's this idea of reverence, this idea of awe, this idea of respect. It's not just terror, oh no, we're done. It's this idea of there's something really important and I honor, I respect, I stand in reverence to that person and he's talking about Jesus. And the reason I know and we know this is what he's referring to is what he said in the verse previous, verse 10. Here's what, here's what uh, Paul said, for we must all, he's talking about Christians, 
followers of Jesus, we must all, and not followers of Jesus, by the way, but we must, including followers of Jesus, must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things, we, uh, things done well in the body, whether good or bad. In essence, what he says is one day we will all stand before Jesus and Jesus will be before us as judge. And that's kind of sobering. Also, it's like, whoa, Jesus isn't just my buddy. He is a friend and he does love, but he is also our judge. And also, it's like, there's a respect and honor and awe, a reverence. Like Jesus is an important being and we're gonna stand before him and he's gonna say, here's what you did good and here's what you did bad. That kind of brings things into perspective. What's important, Jesus, right? And that's what Paul says. Therefore, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we know we're gonna stand before him. And this changes things for us. And this is one of the motivations for the new mission that we've been given in Christ. But it is not the only motivation In verse 14, he's going to give us a second motivation, but we'll get there in a bit. But he says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. (laughs) We try to convince others. We try to tell others. We share a new message. We're on a new mission to get others to understand what we have now come to understand. And that's the gospel, which gospel simply means the good news of Jesus. We are in the business of persuading people. But here's the thing, and you know this because you've probably experienced this. When you come around really persuasive people, sometimes you kind of start to wonder about their intentions, right? You know that salesman, right? It's like they were just a little too persuasive and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, out of my space, right? I'm Canadian. You gotta give me my space, right? It's like we kind of push back because we're like, do you have ulterior motives? And this probably was showing up with Paul. And in fact, I'm not, not to trash on salespeople. If you're in the sales business, it's okay. Uh, in fact, we should all be in the sales business in the sense that we're persuading people for Christ. But just to give you an example, if we can push away when people are trying to be too persuasive, because we wonder, do they have ulterior motives? Uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I were vehicle shopping, kind of. We were going to go window vehicle shopping, which meant we were going to stay in our car and drive through lots and look through the window at cars. They were just window shopping. And we pulled into this, you know, lot and we were all, like, we're not buying anything. We're just driving. We just wanted to drive. And it's like, we didn't say it out loud, but inwardly we're like praying like, oh, hopefully no one comes out because we don't want to talk to anyone, right? We just want to drive through the lot. And then we like drive in and this guy comes we're like, ah, oh. and he is the like friendliest, like we're best friends. Like, like, wow, how did we become best friends so quickly? But he's just so interested in us. And about three or four minutes in the conversation, we kind of like let him know as gently as we could, like, we're not buying anything. We're here just to kind of drive through. And true story, like something switched in him. He's like, get off my property. And we're like, oh, okay, like there's ulterior motives here, right? Like he wasn't really that interested. But here's the thing, when you are so passionate to persuade, what ends up happening, people start wondering, do you have some ulterior motives? And this was happening to Paul. And so he goes on and says, What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not just trying to persuade you to follow Jesus because of what we can get from you, right? It's like, you know, you just want me to to come to church so I'll give money, right? You just want me to become a Christian so you'll get wealthy. You have, you know, Paul says, no, no, no. We don't have any ulterior motives. What we are is plain to God, and we hope it's plain to you. And he kind of riffs on this for a while. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again. It's not about 
us, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. And he says, if we are out of our mind, (laughs) as some say we are, it is all for God, right? But if we are in our right mind, it's all for you. Now, this whole out of our mind, inner right mind, it's kind of confusing and probably there's kind of two possible meanings. One could be Paul at some points had visions of God. You can read this uh, in, in the book of Acts. And he had these crazy visions where he saw things and he kind of went out of his mind to see these visions. Maybe he's talking about that. When we're out of our minds, some say it's for God. Probably given the context though, what he's saying is, if you think we're out of our mind, like crazy passionate people out of our mind, like crazy trying to just live for one purpose, one mission, trying to persuade people about one thing, and that's the person of Jesus. If you think we're out of our mind, it's all for God. And then when we kind of pull that back and we're like in our right mind, it's all for you. And here's what Paul's saying. We live for the glory of God and the good of others. That is what we as, 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 as followers of Jesus are all about. It's all about God and the good of others. And we are crazy passionate because of God, but we'll even tone it down if we had to, if it's better for others. So what is, what is pushing them so much in this? I said earlier, Paul says, you know, we are, we are motivated by our fear of the Lord, understanding that what we do in this life matters because we're going to Stand before the judge for what we've done in this life. So that's one of the motivations, but it's not the only. Now we get to the second motivation, and here's what Paul says. For Christ's love compels us. It's like this thing that just keeps pushing us forward. It keeps us focused in on the mission that we've been given. It's the love. And and when he says Christ's love compels us, there is a difference between knowing about the love of God and knowing the love of God. See, we can know about the love of God from a distance, like, yeah, I don't know about God, but I read, you know, he died on the, sent his son to die on the cross. I read, that's, that's pretty cool love. And we read it from a logical distance. But there's a difference between that kind of knowledge and knowing where you have received and the love of God starts to flow into you and then starts to bubble out of you to others. And that's what Paul's talking about. It's kind of like before you had your first child, if you've ever had a first child. I mean, you can talk to people about the experience of having a first child and read books and kind of try to understand through other people. But until you experience that miracle, I mean, it's like, what? That's life-changing. When you experience it, it changes everything. That's Paul saying, like, we've experienced, and Christ loved, since we don't just know about it, we've experienced, it's bubbling up in us, and it just starts to spread to others. It just starts to spread to others. So the motivation for the mission isn't just this duty, like, ah, oh, we kind of have to, like, judgment's coming, oh, better get on mission. No, it's, it's something that's a privilege. Think of it this way, what's the best thing that's ever happened to you? I mean, the most exciting, like, I got to tell someone thing that's happened to you. Maybe for you, it was having that first child. It's like, like, you just had to tell someone. Maybe for you, it was like, you passed the exam. Like, yes, mom will be happy, right? I don't know. Maybe you graduated and your mom never thought you would, right? You're like, yeah, you're so excited. I'm going to tell my mom or phone my dad. You know, I did it. Maybe for you, it's when, when she said yes, right? The love of your life said yes. Or maybe for you, the love of your life is like asked you to marry them. Here's the thing. 
when something so exciting, the best imaginable thing that's happened to you, when it happens, is it a chore to tell people? It's like you got the ring, the diamond ring. You're like, ah, I'm going to put that in my pocket. Wait a couple months. I don't know if I really want to tell people. It's like work. No. It's like this is joy, right? It's like we have just been overcome with joy. This is what Paul's talking about. This motivation, this compelling motivation is the love of God. We have been overcome by God's love. And it's just spilling. I, I, I have to tell someone. And here's why. Four. We are convinced. Paul says, it's not like we, we think so, like maybe so, we're not sure so. No, he's like, we know for sure so. We are convinced. What are we convinced about? Why are they so passionate about this mission? Because of this. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. <laughs> wow. This is the picture he's giving. Imagine for a moment that you're on death row. And you're on death row because of a crime that you committed for which you cannot uncommit it. It's true. It's the right justice. It's fair. You deserve to die. And as you sit on death row and you're waiting, you don't know when the day will come, when it will be your last day. But one day you hear a message, but the message isn't this. Today is your day of death. Today is a different, you hear a different message. On this particular day, you hear that there's someone out there that chose to pay the debt that you deserve, which is death. And they volunteered themselves and said, I will pay. I will die in your place. All you have to do is accept the terms of agreement. And the terms of agreement are this, that you accept that someone else died in your place. And that's what Paul's talking about. But he's saying not only did one person die for you, one person died for all. When you get that get out of jail free card because someone died for you, not only are you free, but as you walk down the hallways, everyone in every cell, you walk past your friends and family, you walk past your coworkers, you walk past your schoolmates, you walk past your community, everyone else who's also on death row needs to know, don't they? And in that moment, you just received the best news ever. I was dead, but I was just given life. You don't walk out of the jail saying, okay, I better not tell anyone, right? It's like, no, my family, my friends, people need to know. People need to know because everything has changed. One died for all. He didn't die for some. He died for all. Jesus came to die for all. Everyone. Everyone has died as well through him. The, everything has changed. We don't walk out saying, well, I'm sure glad I got out. Sucks to be them. No, no, everything's changed. That's what Paul says next. He says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer, let's say this together, live for themselves. <laughs> so you won't walk out like, wow, I'm sure glad I got out. No, no, Jesus died for all so that our mission would change. So we would no longer live for ourselves, but we would live for him who died for us, for them and others, and who was raised again. 
And this changes everything. That's why he says, this is what it changed. So from now on, we regard no one, not one person from a worldly point of view. And what he means by this is, you know how you regard people from a worldly view? Here's the worldly view. It's when we see people, it's like people get born, they live for 70, 80 years along the way, they have some more people that get born and then they die and then those people live to 60, 70, 80 years, they have some more people that are born, they die and the world keeps spinning and people keep dying and people keep getting born and there's no point to it all. That's the worldly view. And Paul says everything has changed because we were on death row and we heard a message that someone died in our place. And now that we've been given life, we don't see people in cells. We don't see people who have no hope of eternal life from a worldly point of view. You just live, you die and it's done. You live, you die and it's done. No, there's purpose. And we get to share that. He said, we used to look at people from a worldly point of view. In fact, he says, in fact, we once regarded Jesus Christ in this way. We do so no longer. And Paul, if you know his story, he regarded Jesus from a worldly point of view. Jesus to Paul was another scribe or another rabbi, another Messiah. In the first century, you have to know this, there were Messiahs everywhere. Every few years, there was another Messiah that popped up. I'm the Messiah. I'm going to defeat Rome. I'm the Messiah. He was just another Messiah in a realm and a long list of Messiahs who died by Rome because that's what Rome did to every Messiah. And Paul went around persecuting Christians because he thought these people are deluded and they need to be put out of their misery. And on one of those trips, guess who showed up to him? The Messiah the one who had died for him and had been raised back to life and suddenly he realized Jesus isn't who I thought he was. And he stopped regarding Jesus from a worldly point of view and it changed everything. And this is what he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If anyone is in Christ, they have been made brand new. You have moved from sinner to saint, from enemy of God to child of God. All that's been declared. You are a new person. Your identity has changed. Your behavior begins to change as you get formed into the image of Christ. It's called sanctification, this process of being made, in, made like Jesus. We begin to love like Jesus and we begin to live like Jesus would live. But also, we are a new creation. What we live for has changed. And we no longer live for ourselves. He goes on and says, all this, all this newness is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The word reconcile means to be brought together. That because of our sin, we were separated from God. We were put on death row. That's where sin ends. But because of Jesus, we he who died for all has made a way for us to be brought back into relationship with God, brought back from death to life because God is life. But it's not so we can live for ourselves. He did all this and then gave us a new ministry. And here's how he sums it up. Here's how ministry, Paul, Paul takes the whole ministry of reconciliation, he kind of sums it up for us. And here's what he says. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
And now he's committed to us the message of reconciliation, which is that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, no longer counting people's sins against them. And now he's committed to us who have been reconciled the message of reconciliation, which is that God was reconciling. You get it, right? This is it. To put this in simple terms, and I, I don't want any of us to miss this. This is the gospel message, as simple as he can put it. And here it is, and we're going to say this out loud together, okay? Let's read this out loud together. God doesn't count your sin against you. Think about that. God has done something amazing on your behalf, not because you earned it or deserved it, simply because his overwhelming love. And he has taken your sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west, and he died, he sent his son Jesus to die for who? all. He no longer counts your sin against you. In fact, you look to the person beside you and say, guess what? God doesn't count your sin against you. Tell them that right now. If you're online, just look in the mirror, find a mirror, and just tell yourself right now, God doesn't count your sin against you. Why? Why would God no longer? What just happened? In essence, Paul in this passage says, here's why. Because Jesus died for you. Look at the person beside you and say, it's because Jesus died for you. God no longer counts your sin against you because Jesus has died for you. Jesus died for all. Now here's the message we are to tell everyone. What do I do with this? Here's what you should do. Paul says, so be reconciled to God. Look at the person beside you and say, you should be reconciled to God. Yeah. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. And Paul comes along and says, listen, God has done an amazing thing and it's because of Jesus. You should be reconciled. This is the message to the world. In essence, he says, would you simply just accept the terms that someone died in your place and you get to go home free? Wow. But that's not the end. Because Paul says, we don't leave that prison now living for ourselves. And the second piece to this is once we have accepted, we become those who tell. We become, and this is where Paul goes next, we become those who tell. Here's how he says it. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, which means representatives, as though God were making his appeal through us. Think about this. The representatives of Jesus in the world today, because Jesus is not here in physical form, he has ascended to the Father. Guess who is the representative of Jesus himself today? You. If you have accepted that message of reconciliation, you are actually his representative. You are his ambassador. In fact, he goes so far to say it's like God, who has done all this through his love, is shouting to the world... You should be reconciled. And guess who's his mouthpiece? You. Me. In fact, it's often been said that the church is the hope of the world. That without the church, there is no hope in this world. And on one hand, we disagree. We're like, no, no, no. That puts too much on us because the church has got Jesus' followers. But we're not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. But guess who shares Jesus to the world? Jesus has, God has predetermined that the message of Christ will go to the world through us. And in that sense, you and I, as we carry the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, 
are the hope of the world. Who's going to tell them? Someone out there died for you in here so that you can get back out there. So I want to ask you, if, if God is making his appeal to the world through you, how, lo- how loud is God's megaphone? How clear is his message? How purposeful are his words? Paul goes on and says, we there implore you. Here's the message. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, right? This is the message, right, we give. And then in verse 21, he kind of just wraps it all up by, in essence, just saying the same thing in other words. He says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become new people. Come follow me and I will make you. Come follow me and I will change everything about you. Your identity will be made new and declared before the purpose or the foundations of the world. You're no longer a sinner. Come follow me. And by my spirit and your obedience, you're going to start to look more and more like Jesus. Your behavior and actions will change. Come follow me and I will make you the righteousness of God as though God was sharing the message of reconciliation through You see, God doesn't count your sin against you because Jesus died for you. So be reconciled to God. I want to give an opportunity because some of you today, maybe you showed up or you're listening online because someone kind of bribed you with something and you kind of just hear and you're like, I don't know about this whole thing. But you've heard this message over and over. Maybe you've even read parts of the Bible and you're like, I've heard about God's love. But there's a difference between knowing about God's love and knowing God's love. And you've never received, you've never signed your name on the dotted line that says, I accept the terms of acceptance. That someone out there whose name is Jesus died for me in here so that I could be set free. And if that's you today and there's something stirring in you, I want to tell you that's, that's actually your heavenly father. Scripture tells us, Jesus says that we are drawn to the Father by the Father. And I want to invite you today, if that's you and you've never accepted this, that today would be your day of salvation. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on in just the next verse in chapter 6. He says this, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today. Because here's what we don't know. None of us know how many more days we've been given. So if you've never received life, I want to invite you today. Would you be reconciled to God? Maybe you're like, I don't even know. How, do, how does one get reconciled to God? It's as simple as A, admit that you're a sinner. You in essence say, I deserve to be in the jail cell. I deserve because of what I've done and my sin to receive death. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe in Jesus as your Savior, that someone out there whose name is Jesus paid your debt of sin. And then C, commit your life to following him, which means you don't live for yourself. You live on the mission, the identity, and the behavior of your new Savior and Lord Jesus.
And if that's you, I want to invite you, just simply do that. Just admit that you're a sinner. Say, Jesus, I put my faith in you, and I commit my life, my future. I put it in your hands. And if you still have questions or you want to work that out with someone, I invite you to find someone you know who knows Jesus and say, help me. I got some questions. Because they, if they know Jesus, have already received the grace of God. And they will walk with you in that. But for those of us who have received, there's a second step, isn't there, that we talked about. And it leads us back to the beginning of the message. You know, what you live for says a lot about who you are. And I want to invite those of us who have come to faith in Jesus. I want, I want you to kind of remove yourself from yourself and take a, light, a, a look at your life. And if you're an outsider looking in, and we all do this, we look at how we live and we make judgment calls about what's most important, about what our purpose, about what we live for. And if you were to step outside yourself and look at yourself, what do you live for? Or maybe the question better said is this, what do you live for really? And that doesn't mean that we have to put sports or books or Nintendo or whatever aside. But if those become the ends and we chase those and we start living for them, we've missed what God has given to us, a message of hope for the world. But if those we see as means to an end, then we have been placed in a, in a spot to be the ambassadors of Christ in the places we work, in the places we live, in the hobbies we have. Because those are not the end, but they are a means to be the voice of God to a world who needs hope. You know, God doesn't count your sin against you because Jesus died for you, so be reconciled to God. This is something we first accept, and after we accept, we begin to become those who tell. And I can tell by the look on your faces that terrifies you. Because this is what terrifies me. And I'm not good at this. And I struggle with this. And I put that aside. Because I don't always know how to do this. And so I want to share with you a plan to do this where you don't have to be good at this. And yet you could still step into this. As you are the hope. And bring the hope of the world who is Jesus. The first thing I want to invite you to do is this. I want to invite you to pray for four. And simply, you don't even have to talk to anyone other than Jesus, other than God. All you're going to do is you're going to find four people that you know who don't know God, and you're just going to start praying for them intentionally. You start every day, you're saying, God, I, I pray that somehow you would get a hold of their life, that somehow the message of reconciliation would come to them, and just start praying for them every single day. And you may have noticed on your way in, there's little cards, and uh, all of these are on here, so if you forget. Um, but you'll notice it's kind of confusing because there's like four spots, and then there's this, your sphere of influence, eight to 15. What this means is um, typically all of us have about eight to 15 in our sphere of influence. Eight to 15 people that we rub shoulders with every single day. Um, there are people we go to school with, we work with, our family, our friends, whatever it is. And those are the people we're to list and then be intentional to build Christ into them. But some of those 8 to 15 already know Jesus. 
And so your process of discipling them is going to look a little bit different. As you journey with them and encourage them and teach them to know everything Jesus commanded, and you're going to put them down and pray for them and and be intentional at discipling them. But the first four spots are for these pray for four. They're the people that you know who don't know Jesus, and you're going to start praying, God, would you, would you start working in their life? I'm terrified. I don't know if I can talk to them, God, but would you just do something? And I guarantee you, as you start investing in them on your own time, step two is going to happen naturally. But I'm going to share it anyways because it'll help us to be more intentional. We're going to start having more, make it more conversations. And a make it more conversation is simply this. It's everyday conversations about the weather and your team lost and my team won and, you know, that kinds of stuff. And it goes a little bit further where you start to invest in, in this as you start to invest in them, just ask questions. Ask questions about their life and their pain and their struggle and even about their spiritual in, uh, upbringing. You know, a lot of people in our world today are, get, are, are, are against religion, but they are not against spirituality. They're very interested in the spirit world. And you can have conversations that make it go a little further, a little deeper, And you ask questions and you start to invest in them. And as you start to invest in them through prayer and invest in them through having these conversations that just go a little bit further, the next step will start to happen naturally. But I'm going to say it just so that we can be intentional. And it gets scarier and scarier in a sense. So you should start here. The next step is you're going to start opening the door of your life and your home. Start opening the door of the church. As you start to invest in them, you're going to start to invite them into a new way of living. And this is the part where you start to invite them and say, so be reconciled. You, you should come to put your faith in Jesus. Pray for four, make it more, and open the door. Why? Because God no longer counts your sin against you. Because Jesus died for you. So be reconciled to God. See, here's the thing. As we begin to do this, Jesus, God, through you, will actually begin to change the world around you. You know, Jesus says this, come follow me. And as you come follow me, you're gonna watch me change your world through you. Come follow me and you're gonna watch me change your world through you. Actually, the way Jesus said it was this. I don't know if you've noticed, we've never finished this verse in five weeks. And this is why. Because Jesus said, follow me and I'm gonna change your world through you, but he said it this way, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You used to fish for fish, but you're going to start catching people. As you declare to them, God no longer counts your sin against you because Jesus died for you, you should accept the terms and be reconciled to God. Would you step in with me and with the church worldwide on the mission that Jesus has given all of us to bring the hope of Christ to a world that is so desperate for hope. Let me pray with you. Father, Father, we thank you. First of all, we thank you for your love. That in our own darkness, in our depth of sin, that you reached out and sent your son Jesus to pay for our sin for us. And Father, My prayer is twofold for us as a church today. First of all, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the way that you see.
that we would not see others from a worldly perspective, that we would not see ourselves from a worldly perspective, that we would not see our lives from a worldly perspective, but that you would allow us to see as you see. And then, Father, my second prayer is that you would give us courage to do what you do. That as we begin to see the world that, uh, the way that you see, that we would step in and do as you have done. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.